Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast, and now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, that's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben Folks, we had UFC 289 on Saturday night. This one was up there in Vancouver, British Columbia, emanating from Rogers Arena, where at least according to the promotion, they put 17,628 into the stands so not too shabby north of the border uh for the ufc amanda nunez easily retained her ufc bantamweight title against irene aldana then she retired inside the cage really made a time out of it in there inside the cage like it was like a public nunez family party inside the octagon after amanda won her fight and then called it quits you know maybe one thing we could think about if we're going to go ahead and pack so many people into one of the many Rogers arenas around the globe is uh, let's go ahead and make sure we've tightened up all the screws on the railings. You know what I'm saying? Let's go make sure yeah. we've we've double checked everything. Make sure we're sturdy because we're damn near damn near collapsed on poor Mike Malott. Who? Yeah, we, we damn near crushed Mike Malott, who went out there and nabbed a second round submission victory over Adam Fugit. So and has anybody uh, ever looked less bothered by a. Uh, you know, upwards of a dozen people tumbling nearly onto his head from above. And Mike Malat looked like, you know, he was coming out on Wheel of Fortune being introduced. Yeah. It just not bothered at all. Well, you know, he's, he's got his focus. He's got his fight night focus on tunnel vision. He's heading out there to the cage in order to get a big win in his home country. So I don't know that you can totally fault him for just not even breaking stride when a bunch of fans of the UFC tumble into the aisle 
behind him, almost, as you said, right on top of him. Here's my question, though. Let's say, heaven forbid, but let's say for a second Mike Malott gets crushed <laughs> by uh, a mass of humanity plummeting out of the stands yeah. at the uh, obviously not OSHA-certified Rogers Arena. Is that a win for Adam Fugit? <laughs> Does that go in, like, the sure dog fight finder? As it's, it'll say win, and then in parentheses, it'll say opponent crushed. <laughs> I mean, I think if you don't make it to the cage, then it's similar to, you know, a fellow slipping on the back and knocking himself out on the floor, banging his head against a pipe in the in the dressing room. Other crazy shit that we have seen happen in this wild, occasionally wonderful sport. So, uh... I, the question I had is, if you're watching, you're standing in the cage, you're watching your opponent make his entrance, and that happens where, like, a bunch of people fall almost on him, he doesn't break stride, doesn't cast a backwards glance over his shoulder, has a big smile on his face, seems both unworried about his own safety, but also doesn't even care for what happened to these people, not even going to be like, are they okay? He's just going to keep on steadily marching towards you. That's when I kind of go, uh-oh, this fella is focused and kind of inured to the suffering of his fellow human beings, Yeah, which might not bode well for me here in this cage fight against him. It's not a good sign. No. I'll say that, especially if you're Adam Fugit and you're already coming in as a fairly sizable underdog. Next thing you know, here comes newly found sociopath. Mike Malott out to the cage, not giving a shit if men, women, or children had perished behind behind him in a in a in a railing mishap. So yeah, no, I'd be scared. I would actually be scared if I were standing there and and he was going to come out and fight me. Yeah, I mean, I could think of a few reasons to be scared because you're standing in the cage waiting to fight a fellow man who odds makers are pretty sure is going to beat your ass. But yeah, but then. Uh, I, maybe, as you just said, maybe you don't know how willing and able he is to whip your ass until you see him disregard what could have been a major humanitarian calamity right behind him. Yeah, I mean, if you were coming into that one being like, I know how I'm going to win this one, he's going to be distracted. <laughs> He'll be I'm going to appeal to to his human nature. <laughs> and then that happens and you go, well, shit. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to be down on the ground. Mike Malott's going to be beating me and I'm going to be like, Mike, what about humanity's <laughs> kindness to other man? Is this how you would want to be treated, Mike? <laughs> Mike Malott with a big win, as we mentioned, also in the co-main Charles Oliveira with a first round TKO stoppage of Benil Dariush to perhaps make him the number one contender in the lightweight division. We will talk about all of that stuff this week coming up on the show first i did want to mention you know i'm drinking my coffee over here i got my coffee cup sitting up on the desk here and and it's right next to my co-main event podcast logo mug uh that's got all my pens in it and so about five minutes before we started i was writing some stuff down then i took a ballpoint pen stuck it straight in my coffee i well i appreciate you sharing that story with us i feel i just it's ink if i succumb to ink poisoning well, While we're recording this, you'll know why. I mean, you're it's sticking because a I just put a ballpoint pen right in my drink. You're not fucking Ebenezer Scrooge with his quill pen, dipping it in a vat of ink and then spraying it directly into your drink. I think you're going to be okay. I think the amount of ink that got into your coffee is probably pretty negligible. We'll see. I just wanted to say it in case later in the show I become unintelligible 
you can say, well, he's got the ink madness <laughs> is what's happening. That's what you can say. We always knew you'd get some form of madness. <laughs> Remember, you're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. But that's not all, friends. You can find us over at comainevent.com or at patreon.com slash comainevent on Patreon. Ben Folks and I are over there all week. Hit us up. We've got loads of extra audio and video content happening every day of the week except Tuesday. You can also get on our official Discord message board over there. The coolest people in MMA are constantly chatting it up. And the only rule on the board... No assholes. Here's something, Ben, here's something that is new and exciting about the Patreon page. You ready to hear it? Yeah. People can now sign up for a seven-day free trial. What? At at our Patreon at the $5 level. If you've been wondering about the Patreon, but you're not sure what it is or how it works or what the content will be, you can go over there, sign up, check it out for free for seven days. So I think that's pretty awesome. And look, we can only keep making this show with the support from our awesome listeners. So come party with us. We think it's the funnest, smartest, most welcoming group of men and women talking fights online. So head over to patreon.com slash co-main event and sign up to join the team. Uh, you could also consider supporting the CME by scooping up some dope merchandise. Remember that website I just told you about? CoMainEvent.com. Just head on over there. Check out our new merch shop. Look at old favorite designs like the original Dundasso t-shirt, the old school cowboy astronaut cigarettes merchandise. You can also find a lot of cool new stuff like the brand new Are You Fucking Kidding Me shirts, officially licensed merchandise for the dreaded MMA gods, and of course, the hottest seller on the market, the Bobby Nux shirts. You know what? Another thing that's new and exciting, Ben, we got women's sizes over there just last couple weeks on the shop. So if you've been waiting for uh, women's sizes to show up at the CME merch shop, they're there. And we got a, a couple of listeners who've already tried them out. Positive reviews. Glowing, you might even even say. Reviews say of the new women's sizes. Yeah, 100%. Over there at the shop. Just go to comainevent.com and click on the link that says shop. That'll get you there. We're partnering, as always, with our friends Superconductor on the shop. They are a brand and design studio. Hit them up for all of your design needs over there at superconductor.com or on Instagram at Studio Superconductor. We got music this week from our friend, The Fifth Element, a music producer from Fort Worth, Texas. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check him out on Twitter at The Fifth Element or on facebook.com slash The Fifth Element or soundcloud.com slash The Fifth Element Official. I've been saying it for years. You guys already know the word the in The Fifth Element is spelled with an A, the fifth element so that's where you find him three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast in round number one amanda nunez left us better than when she found us we'll discuss the lioness's legacy if this is really it for her and in round number two was the real winner of ufc 289 charles Oliveira? because it sure looked like it and in round number three after four big wins over the weekend is canada primed for an MMA renaissance? And could the guy leading the charge be the aforementioned Mike Malott? All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. 
This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by NordVPN. Kids, have you signed up to get a free bonus month from NordVPN? When you go to nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code co-main. If you haven't, you really, really should. With NordVPN, you get the fastest VPN on the planet. NordVPN provides online protection with a single click. Don't miss your favorite content even when you're traveling. Stay at home virtually. Stay safe from malware and threat protection. Ben and I both have it. We both use it all the time. Ben, I know you love NordVPN. What's your favorite part of using it? You know, my favorite part, Chad, is how it'll click on Whatever public Wi-Fi you're on, you don't even have to think about it. NordVPN just snaps on there to keep you covered. It uh, doesn't matter where you are. doesn't matter if you run down to the hardware store to get some bolts to reinforce your metal railing. doesn't matter if you're swinging by the pharmacy to pick up a couple few dozen get well cards. doesn't matter if you're swinging by your lawyer's office to talk about maybe your personal liability exposure. NordVPN has you covered. Uh, you know, you can also access Nord's amazing cybersecurity apps, including the NordPass password manager, helping you keep all your passwords straight and close at hand. And with the NordLocker encrypted cloud storage app, you can keep your files backed up, synced, and protected from snoopers, loss, or malware in its secure cloud. Nobody will see, touch, or sell them. Got to keep the snoopers at bay. Yep. Sign up right now for any NordVPN, any one of NordVPN's handy two-year plans. And like I said before, you get an additional month for free. Just go to nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code co-main. That's all one word, co-main. This includes all the plans, the standard plan, the plus plan, the complete plan. It's risk-free. With Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, get your exclusive NordVPN deal by, again, going to NordVPN slash Comain or use the code Comain. First question this week in listener mail comes to us from Dana's Doctor's Life-Saving Diet and Exercise Program. Okay. So not even from the doctor. No, from the program we, itself that has become sentient. This is from the program itself. Yeah. A little bit of AI happening here with Dana White's doctor's life-saving diet and exercise program. They write, speak to me about the great sadness spreading through the CME universe this week after the loss of Nate the Train Landwehr to Dan Ige. Everybody knows, Ben, I am a huge supporter of Nate the Train Landwehr, owing mostly to what appears to be his overwhelming craziness. You just yeah. see the guy coming. You see his pre-fight interview and the the look in his eye just says i'm an i'm a wild man give me a wide berth yeah because i'm i'm gonna go crazy on you but then you get out there against dan ige consummate professional veteran technically sound always got a smart game plan dan ige and frankly i hate saying it i don't like saying it but nate landwehr didn't really have anything for him in this fight he goes and Gives up the unanimous decision loss. 29-28, to Dan Ige. And you know what I take away from this, Ben? Nate Landwehr just ain't going to win them all. No. He's he's going to go on, a, win a few fights in a row, and then you know what? The His essential wild man status is going to get to him. And he's going to drop one. And I've decided, as late Nate Landwehr fan number one, that's okay with me. Yeah. That's okay. Just give me that Nate Landwehr, Nate the Train goodness every time you go out there, and I'll take a couple of L's, man. I'll, I'll accept that because the highs wouldn't be so high without the lows, brother. No, you know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. And he is exactly that kind of fighter where 
given the right dance partner, he's going to give you some fun. Given somebody who realizes, okay, there's a way to handle this guy and then there's a way not to handle this guy. And who is somebody who is smart and capable enough to, to do it in a winning fashion. It's maybe not going to be the most exciting fight. I mean, he's still, you know, he got dropped uh, at, toward the end of the second round. Got almost finished there. Uh, was able to rally back and stay in it just through sheer toughness and will. And did find a way every once in a while to sting Danny Gay with something. But you're right that... This one was always going to be a little bit of a tough matchup for him, and I don't know if it's necessarily the kind of matchup that you want to use Nate Landwehr for if you're booking his fights. I think you look around there, you kind of think of him as a little bit of a Justin Gaethje type, I would think. Like, look around and be like, who is going to meet Nate Landwehr in crazy town? Who is going to be willing to play a, a firefight on his terms, kind of? And there are some of those guys out there, especially, you know, at Featherweight, there's a lot of every kind of guy out there. So uh, I, I think maybe if we just think about him as we're not necessarily trying to see if he's going to go all the way to the top and become a champion, especially in a crowded division like this. But what are some fun ass fights he could have? Because there, there are some potential fun ass fights out there. Yeah, that's true. He had been on a three fight win streak coming into this bout. He had also won three straight end of the night bonuses from the ufc at this point he is four and three overall inside the octagon prior to that he had won a bunch of fights in a row including a three fight run with the m1 challenge featherweight championship ah to be a fly on the wall when nate the train went over there to kazakhstan for a couple of fights i bet those were fun trips with nate landwehr just go over there business trip to kazakhstan get a victory take it home with you back to the to the US of A. Uh, but yeah, you might be right. He might be into fun fight territory, despite the fact that he hasn't really been in the UFC that long. His tenure hasn't really been that long, but he's 35 years old. It's possible we've seen the, the mountaintop for late for Nate Landwehr. And I, I agree, man, find him, find him some fights that are going to entertain the fans. That's, that's not that this Dan Ige fight didn't because this was a, a good little scrap, but like, I agree, put him in there with somebody who's going to bring the crazy out of him. Either that or let bare knuckle FC have him. <laughs> oh man. Uh, I feel like you just spoke that into existence. <laughs> Next question is, don't think comes that to they us don't from- have a picture of Nate Lambert, like stacked to the bulletin board at BKFC offices. Be like, they've got an alert. Like as soon as this guy is a free agent, there's a, a red siren that goes off in BKFC. We're like, get us Nate the train. You know that. Do you think the alarm says train crossing? <laughs> okay, now now we're just we're being silly, just plain silly. Ne- Next question this week comes to us from Cal Blackburn, who writes, seems like there's been a lot of fight ending headbutts lately. Is Mark Coleman sitting at home nodding and rocking slightly in his seat saying, all right, all right, all right, in his best dazed and confused voice? And should we expect Chris Curtis to get booked in another fight in a few weeks? No questions asked about whether or not he recently suffered a concussion. Uh, This one was in Nasruddin Imavov against Chris Curtis. They had a, a, a pretty fight, pretty good fight, I should say, going into the second round when uh, Chris Curtis gets accidentally headbutted and basically can't continue because his eye swells up. He's got a cut over the eye. Really looked like Chris Curtis vociferously wanted to stay in this fight. But the doctor, who, by the way, in Vancouver, looked like a legit seven-footer. 
You had a doctor out there looking like Andre the Giant, see into the medical needs of these MMA fighters. Uh, and when he says the fight's over, fight's over. You can't tell the giant double XL doctor, nah, man, we're going to keep this one going. He's just a huge, he's a giant. You got to do what he says. So Nasruddin Imavov and Chris Curtis uh, gets called off and declared a no contest. I guess you've had a couple of these headbutts in a row. One or two more though, and then you'd have a trend. You know, people who, who watched our live watch party for this event know this already, that your your fixation on this tall ass doctor, it began early in the evening and continued all night long. You know, I mean, he's the giant doctor I never knew I needed before I saw him on my screen. And then, if they if the if instead of Hasbula, the UFC signed a lengthy sponsorship deal with Vancouver's tallest doctor and started cranking out <laughs> merchandise, I'd buy a shirt. I'd buy a T shirt for uh, for the biggest doctor in Canada. Yeah. Just towering over people as he inspects their various wounds. Uh, I saw Chris Curtis talking about how he... It always is strange to me, and it's a fair point, about what do we do? What's the protocol for your recovery period during like accidental fouls? And I think at some point we got it in our heads that it was five minutes for everything. And it's not, you know? Which, you know, you get kicked in the balls and five minutes, we're going to give you the five minutes, nobody's going to use it all. But that's one where your recovery is more along the lines of when do you feel like you want to continue fighting? Because we realize it sucks to get kicked in the balls. You're going to feel bad for a little while after that. Stuff where it's like eye stuff, that's where it would seem to make more sense to have a lengthier recovery period because we've seen guys poked in the eye or guys, you know, their vision affected by like a headbutt, something like that, where if you do give them a few minutes and you give them a little time, it might clear up, you know, like that's a, a legit thing. And they're going to need their eyes to continue this fight and to continue defending themselves effectively. And so instead for us to be like, no, either you can see right now or you can't asshole, which is it? We got to either restart this fight or stop it. I don't know. It seems a little counterintuitive. Right now, are you weighing which is more important to the fighting spirit, balls or eyes? Because that kind of sounds like what you're saying. Or maybe you're just, you're arguing for equality. Well, yes. Well, at least like less confusion for one thing it would give us. We just kind of standardize a recovery time period for whatever. But also, the, the balls might be important to your fighting spirit, the eyes are important to your fighting ability, you know, yeah. in a really clear, direct way. And we've talked before, I mean, the underpinning of the whole Dundasso school of thought is that if there's no real consequences for cheating in a fight, and if doing so might limit the other guy's ability, because he's going to want to stay in that fight, he doesn't want to be have the guy standing there with the doctor looming over him, blocking out the sun. <laughs> looking like the guy who can't or doesn't want to continue fighting. And so like, I think that that's when we want to have like a standardized period of like, okay, five minutes. If he can see at the end of five minutes that we can keep going. If he can't, then at least we know, you know, we gave him a chance. Yeah. Uh, I don't, it didn't appear that Chris Curtis suffered a concussion. It seemed like, uh, I mean, I shouldn't say we got to ask the giant doctor. He can get a chance to check him out after the, after the event. But you know, this is different than, uh, when we tried to bring Jared Gordon in a couple weeks ago, 
when he had really obviously and in public during a UFC event held at the apex suffered a concussion against Bobby Green and then we tried to book him into a different fight and then he ended up getting pulled after he just quote unquote disclosed to the media that he had indeed suffered the concussion that we saw him all suffer yeah. that apparently took both the UFC and the athletic commission by surprise. He did what now suffered a concussion. Yes. It happened at your show in your building under the auspices of your state athletic commission. Didn't seem like it was quite the same thing with Chris Curtis. Of course, we're going to have to wait for the giant cut over his eye to heal up. But I'll also tell you this Chris Curtis seems like a dude who's going to want to come back quickly because this one meant a lot to him and he was mad to not get to go on disappointed i should say to have this one end in a no contest so wouldn't be surprised actually to see a quick turnaround uh for chris curtis yeah i mean you you do want to make sure you get that cut take care of though yeah Next question this week comes to us from Tracy Dickinson over on Patreon. She writes, I'm slightly confused how Eamon Zahabi didn't get one of the fight night bonuses after his TKO in just over a minute, yet they gave one to somebody who went to decision in his fight. It's because he looks like Ariel Helwani, isn't it? There's no other explanation. Uh, I'm not convinced that Tracy, known, known personality over on the Patreon, didn't write this in just so I would have to say the names. Eamon Zahabi and Aori Killing? Probably nailed that one. First round KO, a minute and four seconds into this fight. If you're keeping score, the fight night bonuses did in fact go to Mark andre Burial and Eric Anders for fight of the night. And then Chucky Olives, Mike Malott, and Steven Urseg probably nailed it uh, for the performance of the night bonuses. Who's to say? what the rhyme or reason is about who gets the fight night bonuses and who doesn't this one uh, between Eamon Zahabi and Aori Killing was on the preliminary card. A lot of times you're just, you're going to have a shorter route to the bonus if you're on the main card, but we did see some preliminary fighters score one here as to what the deciding factor is or the checklist or haha, the actual criteria that we use to decide it. I think it's uh, which fights did the boss see and which ones does he remember after it's over? Yeah. I mean, especially like with some of these where, you know, the fight of the night being Marc-Andre Barrio and Eric Anders. I'm like, okay, I guess. I mean, it didn't feel to me like, for one thing, it felt like kind of a one-sided fight. It's 30-27s across the board. Didn't feel like anything where I was jumping out of my seat at any point. But if you tell me, hey, you know, maybe Charles Oliveira and Benil Dariush were less in need of the extra 50K than the guys who are the first fight on the pay-per-view, I believe that too. And so I'm not going to argue against somebody getting 50 grand. But I do like the theory that Dana White just looks at somebody and is just like, he gets sort of Ariel Helwani flashbacks and is like, no, absolutely not. We will not reward this person, even though they got one of what, two TKO finishes on the entire card. Cause I would have thought, man, if I went out there, got that knockout, got the first round knockout. I go back there. I'm watching the rest of the fights. There's only one other TKO finish on the whole other card. I would have been like, okay, we're in a good, good spot here. 50, 50 G's, baby. I would already had my reservation made at Sizzler. And then you find out you didn't get it. That's a bummer. Yeah. I mean, it's always a bummer to find out you don't get the extra 50 G's. 
you probably already spent them in your head mm-hmm. after you get the 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 TKO finish. Yeah. So got to call up your platinum chain guy and be like, "So, can you hold on to that one for me?" We've <laughs> all be been back there. To get it at, I'll be back to get it after I obviously get a fifty thousand dollar bonus after my next the fight. next one. Yeah. All right, last question this week comes to us from Kieran Byrne, who writes, As I perused various MMA websites on Friday, I found an article stating that Brendan Lochnane had been starched with a first-round knockout at PFL on Thursday, I guess? I don't know much about Brendan, except through general MMA exposure. I recognize the name and believe him to be one of the PFL's homegrown stars. It was enough to intrigue me to flip over to ESPN+, Plus, which we know we all have, fire up the PFL. After a bit of a clunky start to the main card stream, starting in the middle of a highlight and about 20 minutes of talking before an actual fight began, I found I was able to skip the ads and any part of the fight I felt weren't keeping my attention. I watched for probably about an hour, plus I got to see a freak leg injury, a TKO, a submission, a dominant victory by a flashy Habib protege. A cameo by the Bronze Bomber calling out Francis, and all around I was entertained. I went on to the website to view the upcoming shows and seeing that the next round ra- and seeing the next round of fighters I had just watched, plus names like Stevie Ray, OAM, Shane Burgos, Cassius Clay Collard, hell of a name. I added the shows to my calendar that I'd like to watch. The card felt at least up to par, if not better than some, maybe most of the UFC just some fights cards. Aside from the big pay-per-views, PFL might have a superior product. I'm certainly more intrigued, especially with the addition of big Fran, Jake Paul, and who knows who might be next. In short, it got me wondering, is what the PFL is trying to do working? And I guess my short answer is, yeah, kinda, because it seems like the PFL has really made some forward strides in the last year or two. As we talked about a lot recently, it doesn't hurt that you're right there on ESPN Plus, getting the exposure of the ESPN brand and being on the streaming service that all the UFC fans already have to pay for. So if you're an MMA fan who's primarily at ESPN Plus for the UFC, hey man, you might as well check out the PFL when it shows up because you already paid the cover charge. You're already inside the club. You might as well watch. And frankly, aside from some of the silly stuff they do with the smart cage and putting sometimes too many graphics on the screen, which honestly, when it comes to an MMA broadcast is nitpicking, right? (laughs) To say, oh, the PFL, they put too many graphics on the screen. You're nitpicking. If you've been around this sport long enough to know how many of the MMA broadcasts go and have gone, PFL has a pretty darn good one, including a guy in Sean uh, O'Connell who might be, short of John Anik, the best play-by-play guy in the game who doesn't get the credit that he deserves, especially as a former fighter and PFL tournament champion, million-dollar winner, who has segued to the broadcast booth and become one of the better professionals in the sport. He's pretty amazing. Yeah. And the whole, the whole PFL package I think is good. And now that we're starting to scoop up some of those UFC free agents and we got Francis Ngannou for one reason or another, I, I would definitely tab the PFL as one to watch. If honestly, not the like promotion of the year. If you're, if you're scoring at home, voting for the fighters only awards, I could see a case for PFL as promotion of the year, frankly. First of all, I want to point out that this absolute psychopath, Kieran Byrne, says that I watched for an hour plus and I got to see a freak injury. Got to? Mm-hmm. You were lucky enough to see a freak injury? Anyway, uh, the, the the interesting thing about where PFL is, because I agree with kind of the thesis of this question, that is, is what PFL is trying to do working yeah, 
in a lot of ways it is because just the ease of access and having something that where you're on something where we already have it and if you can get us to just be aware of it at all then it's a lot easier to get us to check it out as opposed to something with Bellator where we could even be really interested in something that Bellator has, but then we have to look and be like, okay, but how do I get there? It's kind of like if you hear about a new show that's on a streaming service that you already have, you could hear yeah. about it through the streaming service while you should turn it on to watch something else. It's so much easier for them to at least get you to try that out than if you hear about a show that sounds like you would actually really enjoy it, but it's on a thing you don't have yet. And you got to sign up for a whole other thing, you know, give a whole other monthly charge, add to the many monthly charges we all have sort of recurring on our credit cards at this point for streaming content. The barrier is just so much lower there. So I would argue that that is working. The tricky part is now PFL seems to be in that stage that has been problematic for a lot of other MMA promoters where you're trying to go from one of the better non-UFC options to big time player. And you could see what when you're inking deals with people like Francis and Ganu and stuff that that's when you're you're spending some real money to try and go and be a big time player. And we've seen in the past a lot of people get themselves in trouble that way because you can overspend without making the the leap over what is admittedly a giant gulf between one and two in the MMA space. And so it's like, how do you manage that part? How do you get from oh, okay, this is a pretty good thing that is not the UFC and that is easy enough to watch and I, and I'm surprised to find myself enjoying it to legit player on the scene uh, where the money that's coming in as a result of some of these moves is is at least roughly equal to the money going out yeah honestly it could get interesting or it would be interesting to see what would happen with the pfl if the ufc departs espn at the end of its broadcast deal, we already can anticipate that there will be a feeding frenzy of sorts for the UFC's content. I think there will be a lot of streamers that are going to be willing to shell out a lot of money to get the UFC. So if the UFC were to hop off ESPN+, Plus, it would be interesting to see whether or not the PFL would become the flagship MMA promotion of ESPN, or if it would kind of be a, a dagger under the ribs of the PFL that a lot of people might cancel their ESPN plus subscriptions, follow the UFC over to uh, uh, the Roku network or rumble or, or, you know, Queegee. I don't know. Peacock. <laughs> okay. Something like that. Uh, but that would be very interesting. We'll see what happens. But I personally think we will probably continue to see the UFC keep at least some of its programming on ESPN plus, but it would be interesting to see what would happen if it did not. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link up there in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Right now, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. See? 
We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Well, Ben, it wasn't a surprise per se, because there was a lot of whispering, there were a lot of inklings headed into UFC 289 that this could be Amanda Nunes' last fight in the great career of the Lioness, who now is 35 years old, walks away on the heels of just an absolute wipeout against Irene Aldana. We can talk about in a minute what on earth was going on with Aldana in this fight, but let's focus on Amanda Nunes for the start. She finishes 23-5 and overall, had that loss to Juliana Pena in December of 2021, which she came back and avenged in July of 2022. Prior to that, she hadn't lost since 2014. So an amazing run for the women's goat in Amanda Nunes. I guess, we, you know, we talked about this a fair amount on the Patreon last week, considering that there were some rumors that this would be Amanda Nunes' last fight. We'll give the disclaimer that we always give with every MMA retirement that many of them don't stick. It seems to me like Amanda Nunes is the kind of person that this might stick for her because she clearly has a family life and now a business and other things going. She's done everything you can do in the sport. So who knows if we'll see her come back. If she does not, what's the lasting legacy, I guess, both as a fighter and just sort of as a figure in the UFC to you? Well, as of right now and for the foreseeable future, she's got to be considered the greatest women's fighter of all time and MMA as a sport. Yeah. And so yeah. that's a pretty goddamn good legacy to have. And it's not even one of these goat conversations that is interesting for people because they're, it's not really an argument. You yeah. know, the, the way we love to have these arguments about other people, about Habib and John Jones and Jordan St. Pierre and all that kind of stuff. It's a little bit boring because it's clearly a man of newness when you have that conversation at all. And in, in women's MMA, and so that's a hell of a great legacy to have. Like you, I also tend to think that this retirement will probably stick because you look at the circumstances around it where going out on top on a win after having been a champ of at least one division and often two divisions, but sort of continuously for like seven years. So even though she wasn't making huge Conor McGregor paydays, still being a champ for that long, you had a chance to stack some paper. You know, you had a chance to, to build up some money and it seems like she does not live a crazy lifestyle or anything either. And so it seems like financially, she probably is less likely to be driven back into the sport out of just necessity. And that she seemed like she had an opportunity to gradually come to this decision and not you lose one big fight, you're super bummed out or, you know, one big thing happens and you go, fuck it, I'm out, you know, to sort of get comfortable with the idea over time. Plus, I saw uh, Aaron Bronsetter noting, I, th I think it was Aaron Bronsetter on Twitter, where he was talking about how you'd often see Amanda Nunes around on crutches after her fights, and that he would ask, you know, was it from, like, especially even fights where she did not outwardly seem to sustain much damage, and he'd be like, is it just from how many leg kicks you are throwing that you're hurting yourself that way? And she was like, no, I've actually had this kind of like long, ongoing nerve damage in my legs, and doctors have told me I really shouldn't be fighting at all. And so it's like, when you have kind of that piece, be like, even if like, Amanda Nunes is going out there and is the hammer way more often than she's the nail in most of her career, 
still, this is the hurt business and you could yeah. still have some stuff happen to you. So uh, I can see how all that sort of kind of gets factored in and you go, this is a pretty good time to walk away. Yeah. Yeah. As you said, like the interesting or perhaps patently uninteresting thing about any kind of women's greatest of all time conversation is that it's Amanda Nunes. There's not even really anybody else in the conversation except maybe Valentina Shevchenko, who she clearly defeated more than once, including Chris Cyborg, who she defeated. If you wanted, you could get in the way back machine and maybe make a case for Ronda Rousey. But guess what? Amanda Nunes defeated her too. So that's a handy feather to have in the old resume that you defeated all of the other contenders that would be in the conversation for women's greatest of all time. Uh, And frankly, Amanda Nunes probably deserves to be on the list of just greatest of all time, regardless of men's division, women's division, whatever. She was just an incredible fighter. And I think I would like to add also seemingly a classy person, first openly gay UFC champion, which shouldn't be overlooked. And maybe it had a lot to do with just the non-existent nature of the women's featherweight division in the UFC, but a person who was the champ champ for much longer than people like Daniel Cormier and Conor McGregor, who we give a lot of credence to being the champ champ. We'll put the, put that in lights when we talk about those guys, man. And Nunes, we don't talk about that much, uh, even though she did carry both of those straps for considerable, considerable periods of time. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Irene Aldana here because she never got the car out of the garage in yeah. this fight. She just looked like she couldn't even really get started. She seemed intimidated, whatever it was. She didn't really muster any offense in this thing. Uh, and Amanda Nunes just rolled over here. Oh, rolled over her. Is that, do we credit that to Amanda Nunes's? scare factor that you get in there with Amanda Nunes and you're just already scared. You're already beaten by the time you climb in the cage or is something else going on? You know, I saw where she, as I made websites love to say, uh, released a statement about the loss, which is to say she posted to Instagram. Yeah. About the I loss. released several statements this morning. <laughs> and she said something, she made some kind of an allusion to a, that she had, already identified the blockage that happened that caused her to fight like that. Um, So she seemed to think that there was something going on that she did not do exactly what she wanted to do out there. I often think about, uh, I think in one of AJ Liebling's books where he was talking about Rocky Marciano and he was asking somebody asking maybe Rocky Marciano's trainer, like this other guy, he went in there and man, I thought his strategy was really dumb. Like he didn't do any of the stuff that he thought we all thought he was supposed to do to give himself a chance of beating Rocky. Uh, Why do you think he fought like that? And Rocky Marciano's coach replied like, well, a lot of people think that they know what they should do until they have to go in there and do it. And especially to do it against somebody who is an aggressive fighter, who's constantly pressuring you, constantly in your face, punching you in the head. And his quote was, it ain't like football because Rocky never gives you the ball. He never is going to be like, okay, it's your turn now. You get to be on (laughs) offense. You don't get that. That is not guaranteed to you. And so it's really a lot harder than it looks at times to, to seize that initiative, especially when it hurts. And I also think, you know, you, you tack on it's big fight there's uh, a lot of like big fight aura around amanda nunez who comes in here and for her a five round main event title fight is another night of work and for you it's you know 
especially in Irina Danya's case, she'd lost every five rounder that she had been in before and in other like title fights in other organizations or main events. And you're just a little bit cowed by the moment. Maybe I could absolutely see how that happens. Plus like you're up against the greatest fighter in the history of women's MMA. So she probably got that way for a reason. The retirement celebration was a little awkward for Amanda Nunes. Seemed like she had a very clear picture in her mind for what she wanted to have happen after she walked away to get the gloves off, to put both the belts in the cage. And we it, it took a long time to find the cut man Yeah, to get the gloves cut off. It took a long time to get the whole scene set. And then by the time it actually happens... It seemed both like a foregone conclusion and as so many things go in MMA, just a little bit, a little bit cringe, a little bit hard to watch, a little bit awkward out there. But I got to say, once we got the thing rolling, we did have a full scale Nunez family party in the octagon with uh, Amanda and Nina's young daughter in there dancing her ass off and everybody swilling beers and having a good time in there. Uh, so I guess you got to you got to give them some space. She clearly deserves it. But it was just another one of those happenings, which aren't totally uncommon at the end of a UFC pay-per-view where just the whole thing seems meticulously planned and rehearsed and all of this. And then we get to the end and it's just like, it's a total schmoz, basically. Like, they can do whatever they want for the next 15 minutes. Yeah, I mean, it did seem like, especially since she seemed to know we're retiring, we couldn't have some whisper in somebody's ear, have those scissors ready to cut off the gloves and everything. But, you know, it was a cool moment to get to see her there with both her belts laying them down on the mat there and sort of getting to say goodbye on her own terms. I mean, how many people in MMA get that, you know? Almost no one. Uh, It was also, though, interesting as uh, for most people who know kind of what's up and what the UFC's vibe is on this to watch them, watch her laying those belts down, saying goodbye and kind of going in the back of our heads, well... That probably gonna about do it for the women's featherweight division in the UFC, isn't it? Yeah. Because they've said for a while that we're kind of just keeping it around so that Amanda Nunes can keep that second belt that, you know, she earned. And that is absolutely hers, but that the UFC clearly did not have much of an interest in running that division. And as, you know, we've heard other fighters recently be like, hey, I tried to re-sign with the UFC saying I wanted to fight at featherweight. And they're like, yeah, we're not really doing that. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure by Monday morning they had taken the featherweight division, loaded it inside a big wooden crate with packing peanuts, nailed that fucker shut and rolled it into a giant, (laughs) you know, the fucking garage where they keep the Ark of the Covenant at the end of Indiana Jones. That's where the featherweight division, the women's featherweight division is at this point. Uh, Nina Nunes might return, they said, (laughs) which is kind of interesting. That would be uh, interesting to see what would happen there if she returns after Amanda retires. Anyway, let's go ahead and do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, I'm just going to lay this headline on you. Because you log on of a Monday morning or a Sunday afternoon just trying to see what's happening in the world of mixed martial arts. And you see this headline. Conor McGregor sends Miami Heat mascot to emergency room. Now, this happened during a planned stunt at uh, the NBA Finals, Miami Heat game, Conor McGregor announced as a new partner of some sort with the Miami Heat. I don't know what Conor McGregor and the Miami Heat basketball team will do together in terms of a partnership. But as part of this planned stunt, Conor McGregor punches the Miami Heat mascot in the face twice, gives, gives him the left hand. 
the powerful left hand to Bernie, the mascot of the Miami Heat, drops him to the canvas, or I should say the hardwood in this case. Next thing we know, the guy inside the Bernie costume has to go to the emergency room to get treated by doctors. Conor McGregor's first knockout in years, by the way. Uh, Are you fucking kidding me, Conor? You can't take a little off the top for Bernie? It's like you only got one speed, dude. You just go out there and hammer him with the left hand. You can't be like, okay, I understand that this is a professional wrestling style work that I'm having with this giant mascot on the floor of a basketball game. No, you got to hammer him as hard as you can. Put him in the hospital. You fucking kidding me, dude? Fucking kidding me? Now, see, if I were Bernie in this situation, the thing I would want to say to either Conor McGregor or his handlers or whoever is organizing this stunt beforehand is, okay, so you can't really see where my head is in this thing. Neither can anyone else. So you don't really have to lay into it here. You could just sort of glance one off the, the stuffing on the outside here and I'll sell it. Don't worry, brother. I'll sell it hard. But let's just make sure we take care of each other's bodies out there. Yeah. He might be like, the suit is not as soft as it seems, does not provide as much protection to my head as you think. So let's go a little easy. Conor McGregor can't buy a positive headline (laughs) in this in this day and age. Guys are going out there to do a fun stunt in the middle of a basketball game. And the headline that results is Conor McGregor sends Miami Heat mascot to emergency room. Just like he brings this on himself. Okay. Okay, but but like. Is there a possibility Conor McGregor does think this is a positive headline? Because <laughs> is there a possibility he looks at it and he's like, hell yeah, I told you nobody could take that left hand. <laughs> oh, not even Bernie. The uh, the Miami, I don't even know what this guy is supposed to be, the mascot <laughs> of the Miami Heat. But uh, Concussed. But he had, that's yeah, what he's supposed that's what to he be. Is. Concussed. All right, Ben, what's your are you fucking kidding me this week? Chad, my are you fucking kidding me is that you knew after Amanda Nunes' fight and subsequent retirement, you knew Juliana Pena was going to have something to say. Well, for sure. What she has to say, first, she tweets, I'll take that as a compliment, meaning Amanda Nunes retiring, and then tweets, I scared you so bad into retirement. Personally, congratulations. Professionally, WTF was that hashtag UFC 289. Are you fucking kidding me here? I mean, Juliana Pena maybe not taking some of the hints when she starts trash talking about Amanda Nunes before this fight at some like fan event and she's get she gets booed. Then she's gonna go on there and Twitter while everybody is handed Amanda Nunes her flowers and say, I scared you so bad into retirement. Juliana, have you noticed that even though you guys are technically one and one, there's there was nobody out there being like, but Amanda Nunes can't retire yet. She hasn't completed the trilogy with Juliana Pena. Do you notice there was like nobody saying that? <laughs> do you think maybe there's a reason why? Do you think maybe the thing to do is that instead of focusing so much on Amanda Nunes is to just instead be like, okay, now I have a much better chance to go get that belt back with her out of the way. Are you fucking kidding me? You can find a way to make yourself look bad in this, what is a, a heartwarming moment for the greatest fighter in women's MMA history. You fucking kidding me? Kidding. All right, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. 
Jed, what might have been honestly one of the biggest performances of the night, Charles Oliveira, in his first fight since losing the UFC lightweight title to Islam Mahachev last fall, comes out here against a guy on an eight-fight win streak in Benil Dariush, and I tell you what, he gives you a a goddamn show, a whole lot of living packed into four minutes and 10 seconds, leading up to a TKO finish in the first round for Chucky Olives, who feels very much like he back, Chad. Yeah. He back in the title conversation. Not only does he seem like he's back, he seems like a significant star for the UFC in perhaps a way that we didn't necessarily give him credit for during his actual title reign. Like he shows up for this thing. First of all, one thing, you know, Charles Oliveira always going to look good. Yeah. He's going to come into this thing dressed to the nines. He was wearing just a sparkling uh, blazer when he walks into this thing. Charles Oliveira understands the value of look good, feel good, fight good. Then he goes out there, gets an unbelievable ovation from the crowd in Vancouver and then kind of just styles on Benil Dariush en route to this victory. So an all-around per, 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 uh, you know, uh, impressive performance for Charles Oliveira. The most impressive performance, I think, of these top two or three fights. And yeah, he, he looks like he could definitely be the number one contender. We talked headed into this fight that it would be easy, I think, for the Justin Gaethje... Dustin Poirier winner to snatch number one contender status away from the winner of this fight. But Charles Oliveira looked pretty impressive, man. He did the impressive thing that you usually have to do to catch the eye of UFC matchmakers. And if they said he was next for Islam Mahachev, who provided Charles Oliveira with his only loss since 2017, if they said we were going to run it back, I would be totally fine with that because Right now, Charles Oliveira seems like that dude all the way around. Yeah, I mean, for one thing, can we just take a, a step back for a second before we even just get started talking about, like, you know, who deserves a fight for what title and all that kind of stuff, and just admit that at this point, we all got to recognize that when you put Charles Oliveira on a car against anybody, it's goddamn appointment viewing. Yeah. When's the last time this guy was in a boring fight? You know? Yeah. And especially how many guys have we seen, especially in some of the lighter weight classes where they get to this level and because they have so much to lose, so much at stake in any one of these fights, they get more conservative and the the fights are therefore a little less exciting to watch, fewer finishes, stuff like that. You look at Charles Oliveira's fights uh, and especially it seems like the more he was fighting at the very top level of the division – the more likely he was to give you a finish one way or another, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You you certainly can't charge the guy with being conservative. No. He's out there l- letting it all hang out against the best fighters in the world. And in this fight against Benil Dariush, frankly, uh, he looked exciting and looked like a million bucks. And I know, you know, we know that Charles Oliveira's calling card is his groundwork. His striking obviously has improved by leaps and bounds to become a very dangerous weapon in his arsenal but like one of the things that impressed me in this fight is that when Benil Dariush was on top of him on the ground and Charles Oliveira was not only just attacking with all of the Charles Oliveira shit that he normally does but you could tell the ease at with 
at which he was just controlling Benil Dariush's entire posture, just like basically reaching down and shoving the guy where he wants him to be. And it was just like that, you know, that doesn't look fun. No, it does not fun to does not look fun to be down there with Charles Oliveira just manhandling you. And then, of course, uh, he goes on to get the TKO just about 50 seconds before the end of the round. So did everything you could possibly ask the guy to do in terms of making himself look like he deserves a rematch with Islam Mahachev. I don't know what else Islam or uh, Charles Oliveira could have accomplished here. Yeah, especially because when you put him up against somebody like Benil Dariush, he's on such a long streak and has been saying essentially that he is the the guy who clearly deserves to be the next challenger. And then you come in there and you finish him in the first round. I mean, and make it look not that difficult. Like that's a real big statement, especially in a crowded division like this. Plus, we were joking, you know, as we're watching this fight where there's a moment where early in the round, you know, Charles Oliveira is on his back with his guard open while Benio Darius is standing over him. And we're like, well, Charles got you right where he wants you now. You know, worst <laughs> thing you could do. And then yeah. it's like 90 seconds later, the fight's over. And Charles Oliveira has won. Which, I mean, you're right that it seems like fans have really come all the way around on Charles Oliveira now as a guy who just has a lot of style in and out of the octagon and is always going to give you a fun time. And so, like, if you are looking around for something to do in the lightweight division, we, at this point... I don't think anybody's going to be too big a stickler for exactly what the contender ladder is supposed to look like. Because when you just look at like the names that are on his resume and how he fought all the top guys that were out there available, fought and finished damn near all of them. Like that's a really good pedigree to have in a division this crowded. Feel good story for Charles Oliveira feel bad story for Benil Dariush has who has been a guy who has deserved a shot at lightweight elite status for a long time he had not lost a fight since 2018 prior to this basically after every win going back as far as I can remember with my terrible memory uh, Benil Dariush has been asking for this opportunity it has seemed like he has deserved it for a long time he seemed like the kind of guy who was just going to have to keep proving it over and over again until the UFC begrudgingly gave him the chance to become a top lightweight contender because there was no one else left for him to fight. And then he goes out there against Charles Oliveira and gets kind of worn around the cage like a hat. So that's that's bad news, I think, for Benil Dariush because you got to think in the wake of this loss at 34 years old, he is a long, long way from getting back to getting another one of these opportunities. I would love to think that I'm wrong, but just judging by how long it took him to get the first one. And then this is what happens when he goes out there. I don't know. Probably going to be a long wait for Benil. Yeah. That's a tough one, man, because it didn't exactly seem like they were really looking for reasons to give you a title shot before. And the streak was the best thing you had going for you, you know, and now that's gone. Yeah. All right. Anything else you wanted to say about this uh, co-main event here from UFC 289? I had a great time. I had a great time too. Hell of a time. Also, between these two guys, don't think, don't. I don't care who you are, or what you think you have to say. Charles Oliveira wins a fight. He's going to get out of the cage and go talk to some people. Just fucking make your peace with that. <laughs> Stop trying to get in the man's way and treat it like it's a huge hassle or a huge problem for him to do it. He's just going to do it. 
So fuck, like, get out of his way. He's gonna he's gonna roam all over the arena, and you just gotta let him at that point. Yeah, man of the people, shaking hands, kissing babies, mm-hmm. saying hello to the homies. By the way, speaking of the homies, it's adorable that Charles Oliveira's entire corner also bleaches their hair. Yeah, when he fights, it's just like looking like a boy band from the early '90s going out there. Everybody blonde as can be for the Charles Oliveira fight. Absolutely. Except maybe one guy with a mohawk, which I understand. He's got his own thing going. He doesn't need to mess it up by bleaching his hair like Charles Oliveira. All right, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, you got to have a pretty long memory in this sport at this point to remember a time when Canada was a priority for the UFC. You got to go, I don't know if you got to go all the way back to UFC 129 in 2011 when George St. Pierre defended the welterweight title against Jake Shields. And we went up there to the other Rogers Center slash arena over in Toronto and they put 55,000, almost 56,000, according to the official gate, into the stands for that fight at one point dana white if i remember correctly declared canada the new brazil and they were going up there regularly to do these big shows obviously you've had the pandemic recently that probably made canadian destinations more difficult for the ufc but this is the first one in a while up there in vancouver with almost twenty thousand in the stands four wins for canadians headlined obviously by mike malott as we spoke about defeating adam fugit this is the first one in a while where it felt like Canada was back. And frankly, if you've been around the sport for a while, it feels good to have Canada back. It feels good to have the UFC feeling like, hey man, maybe we will go up to Canada and fill a giant ass arena one or two times a year. Maybe Canada will become a more frequent stop for us because Canada, you know, when we were coming up was a hotbed of mixed martial arts. Yeah, And so it's great to think that that might happen again. It is great, especially because for those of us who have been up there and covered a few events in Canada, you always note that there's a whole lot of passion and energy from the fans up there. And so if you can give them some regular shows, give them something to cheer about and revive the scene overall a little bit there, it seems like it would be great for everybody. I mean, the UFC is going to love shoving that money in their pockets. But also, I feel like it's just like wherever you can go and have those super energetic crowds uh, it always makes it feel like a little bit more of an event, a little bit more special of a thing. Uh, so yeah, you'd, you'd hope that this is more than just, all right, see you again in four more years. And Mike Malott, as we spoke about earlier, he seems like a likely contender to lead the charge. If that is in fact going to be a thing, despite the fact that he almost got crushed yeah. by a bunch of people falling on top of him out of the stands. He goes out there and he easily dismantles Adam Fugit for a second round submission, wins a performance of the night bonus. Not that that was necessarily surprising just because he was a big favorite over Adam Fugit, but he looks good doing it. He seems to understand the uh, the performance side of the game in terms of being on the mic. He is 10-1-1 overall now in his MMA career. He has not lost since 2014 when Hakeem Duato beat him in World Series of Fighting. He also has a draw in Bellator, kind of an interesting and circuitous route for 
Mike Malott, considering he doesn't have a ton of fights. But now that he is in the UFC, he is 3-0, and including another win on the Contender Series. This guy has finished all of his professional fights except for the one that ended in a draw. So clearly he decided he didn't want to do that again because he's out here stopping everybody that he's in the cage with. Mike Malott, you know, it's it's always dicey to crown somebody like, oh, this guy's the new star. He's the one who's going to do X, Y, and Z since there's so many different ways to fail in this sport. Uh, but he looks promising. I got to tell you, he looks promising. He does. I mean, one thing that I find interesting when I looked at his record a little bit is that, and I wondered to what extent it's sort of a reflection of how the MMA scene in general in Canada has changed over the last decade or so is one thing I heard from a lot of people is the, one of the problems is that the smaller regional shows are disappearing and that's not just yeah. Canada. That's also in America too, where, uh, you know, the pandemic did a number on some of them where, you know, where if you didn't have any kind of model that allowed you to make business outside of live ticket sales, then what the hell were you supposed to do during the pandemic? Uh, but you look at his record and you see like, you know, 2011, 2013, 14, around there, where a lot of fights at home in Canada, like in Nova Scotia and in Toronto, Alberta, stuff like that. Um, and then more recently where you see a whole lot fewer of them, because it just seems like from a lot what a lot of people say, there's fewer and fewer opportunities to fight at events in Canada. And so that all have to have some kind of knock on effect on how do you build and sustain a fan base? Because the UFC is only going to come there so often, you know, Bellator is only going to come there so often. So uh, you do have to wonder like how that's going to affect the ability to have really a, a thriving MMA scene there. But it always does come down to like if you can find a few people, local people who can help inject a little more life back into the fan base, that always makes such a huge difference. It's just a matter of like, is the UFC interested in really cultivating that? I mean, here they put them in a pretty advantageous matchup, I think. So it seemed like, okay, at least for this one, for one in Vancouver, they wanted to see Mike Mallott get to come out here and show his stuff. But we have also seen a lot of times where they'll get somebody where maybe it looks like we're doing something with them, but then we just kind of give up and go, all right, now we're going to throw them into a hard-ass fight with no real upside for anybody. Yeah, and obviously it helps to have those personalities if you're talking about bringing back a uh, a, a scene of any kind, any kind of geographic scene. seems like we always have someone to lead the charge, whether it be George St. Pierre or Conor McGregor in Ireland, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you need some some recognizable guys to go out there and and, and do it, and perhaps getting Mike Malott some showcase wins is not the worst idea up there uh, in Canada. But I think you make a, a, a good point about what the UFC is going to want to do. Like, clearly, uh, it is content to just stay home in Las Vegas, at least for the time being, for the fight night events. We have talked at length about the politics and industry of creating new stars and whether or not that is a thing that the UFC is entirely interested in anymore. I think they will take a star when they can get one, especially if that person fits into their budget. And if one doesn't materialize or if they can't come to grips or financial terms with someone, as we just saw with Francis Ngannou, they clearly uh, don't hesitate to just kind of not come to a deal with that person, keep them as long as they can under their contract and then let them walk away. Hopefully as the UFC sees it under disadvantageous circumstances for the fighter. But uh, I mean, it probably would there would be in their best interest to, to try to cultivate 
the, the Canadian market. The one time was a fight frenzied environment with George St. Pierre and might be good for them to do it again. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I, I know I remember the great days of going and watching crazy crowds in Canada for George St. Pierre and then binging on coffee crisp out of the uh, hotel vending machine afterwards. So, you know, I wish that for all MMA media members, honestly. Yeah. Pass it down to a new generation. All right, let's do uh, Just Saying Stuff, and then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, what's your Just Saying Stuff? Well, Chad, I know by now you must have had heard that Floyd Mayweather had himself another one of those boxing exhibitions this weekend. Yeah, I did see that. That was uh, against one of the goddies, right? One of the uh, one of the fighting goddies, the thing that they're most famous for being uh, <laughs> being combat sports athletes. Yeah. See, so just to begin with, just when you're talking about you know some fun headlines that kind of capture a cultural moment that we happen to be in, is. When you got a brawl breaking out in the arena during a fight between Floyd Mayweather and grandson of notorious mobster John Gotti. He's out there. He's boxing John Gotti III. And, you know, at this point, you know what Floyd Mayweather does, what, what this whole era of his career is about. And this one ends in controversy, I believe in the sixth round, when referee Kenny Bayless stops it calls a, a disqualification, uh, accusing Gotti of doing too much holding and trying to hit in there and close. Uh, and the the Gotti fella kind of refuses to accept it and is just going to walk around Kenny Bayless to continue trying to fight Floyd Mayweather. And then the ring floods with about 2 million people. You know how they do at boxing events where yeah. anybody can get, can get in get the in ring there. at any point, it seems, and they do. And so huge brawl breaks out. I guess this week, I'm just saying, I see the headlines where people are like, oh, you know, Floyd Mayweather. I saw one from Deadspin talking about Floyd Mayweather stealing people's money with these exhibitions. Oh, this one just breaks out in a a total mess. Don't even get a real finish to a fight out of it. I'm just saying, if you paid for this particular fight, really any of the Floyd Mayweather exhibitions over the last few years, but especially at this point, uh, didn't you gonna get exactly what you were hoping for, which is an absolute shit show? Like the the only one he's stealing money from you is where they don't really do much. This one, yeah, we're gonna fuck around and get a whole ass riot out of it. Like that's you wanted a circus. If you bought yeah. this thing, you were hoping to get a circus. You didn't buy Floyd Mayweather versus John Gotti the third because of your overwhelming love of the sweet science. <laughs> Wait, you don't think Jake Paul's out here talking about the sanctity of boxing? I love boxing too much to allow anything cartoonish to happen. I'm just saying, if you are buying these fights at this point, you probably do feel like you got your money's worth out of this one. And if you didn't, then you should stop buying these fights because it's not going to get that much better for you than this. I'm just saying. I'm just waiting for John Gotti and Floyd Mayweather to have a technically superior fight between two gentlemen. That is remembered as one for the ages. Just a clean, hard contest between a couple of sporting competitors. Yeah. Well, Ben, this week, I'm just saying, we talked about this at length earlier about the railing collapse that almost crushed Mike Malott on his way to the cage during UFC 289. One thing that I wanted to mention here, which is not out of character, certainly for the UFC, but the broadcast team didn't totally seem to mention it much at the time as we were all like, 
hold up? Did one side of that railing keeping the fans up in the stands just collapse and a bunch of them fell into the aisle right behind Mike Malott? And then you see the overhead angle from people who were like shooting the the entrance with their phones and it becomes clear how many people fell and how far they fell and how close they came to crushing Mike Malott. UFC broadcast team kind of no-sold it for a while until John Anik mentions kind of offhand during another fight that uh, no one had been hurt. Just wanted to circle back and let you know no one had been hurt by this railing collapse. So everything's fine. We're just going to go on with the show. This week, I'm just saying, would they have given us the same update if someone did get hurt? (laughs) If there were, let's say there was an avalanche of injuries to fans in the stands who fell out onto the concrete of the aisle. uh, Would they have told us about that? Or just we're hoping, crossing our fingers, hoping everything turns out for the best. And then once we find out no one was hurt, then we'll talk about it. Just saying. Would they have told us? Would they have updated us on a terrible calamity? I kind of doubt it. Just saying. You don't think maybe they've been like, okay, we're looking at three sprained wrists, one broken arm, uh, possibly a fractured jaw. It did seem like they got that information on the total lack of injuries pretty quickly. You know, yeah, right? And just like, 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 we, uh, like we ballparked it. We yeah. took a look. Everybody seems fine. They're okay. So we're just going to go with it. It's like somebody feels like the vibe was like somebody sticking their head in the room and be like, everybody okay? Cool. And then you're out before somebody be like, actually, I feel like I need to go to the hospital. Nope. Too late. Yeah, no, everyone's everybody's fine. Everybody's fine. Just saying. Just saying. All right. That is going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks to everybody for listening. Remember, we're over at the Patreon page all week. Wednesday with the live chat, Thursday with doing the damn thing, and Friday with the power hour. Uh, it's a hell of a time. You should think about joining up. Patreon.com slash co-main event is how you get there. As for right now, thanks everybody for listening. We are done. We are through. We are out. If you had to fight the grandson of any mobster of your choice, oh God, who would it be? Who would you choose? Who sucks? That's my first question. <laughs> you would just hope that they suck. I always. I might hope take that they the, the great grandson of Meyer Lansky. Okay. You know, a classy guy who kept it professional when he wasn't running Murder Incorporated. I feel like whoever his descendant may be would give me a spirited, yet even-handed and gentlemanly fight. That's what I think. Um, what's what's the status of Al Capone's kids? What do we got there? Because I feel like if you can get me on a poster with somebody whose last name is Capone, maybe they wear one of those fedoras, trench coat, I feel like we can do some business. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I think it's a big draw. I think we should look into it. Co-main event podcast production. See if we can get Ben Folks in the cage with uh, one of the Capones. <laughs>